drop. My name is Christian Wynn, the director of Storyfort, and you're listening to Storyfort Presents Voices of Treeport Music Fest, a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. Treeport Music Fest brings in hundreds of artists from all over the globe every March, though this year we've been postponed until September 23rd through 27th at this point, and we're here on this podcast to tell you about all things Treefort. Today, Larry Rosen and myself are going to be talking to Dale Hiscock, the one-man wonder that is the band Endless Atlas. But first, I just want to say we really hope you're doing well. Our team is uh, continuing to persevere. You know, sheltering in place is still a thing in our lives, and I'm sitting here at my at my desk at home recording this. And we got Dale on the Zoom conference, and he also, and Larry, and I talked there, but he also, Dale did, recorded at home um, on his fancier equipment. So the song audio should be pretty darn spot on, but, uh, you know, we've got a few Zoom issues here and there. But thanks for being patient with us. And we really hope, gosh, your lives are carrying on as best as possible during this time. So I guess I'll let us uh, move on to Dale Hiscock and Endless Atlas. Enjoy. Here we are with Dale Hiscock of Endless Atlas today on our episode. And I'm here with Larry Rosen, co-host. Larry, I know you had a question to start us out with, and then we'll go into some music, but go for it. I did, and it's a pretty timely question, uh, Dale. I know that the way Endless Atlas is constructed, it's basically you, and, and you just showed us a ton of pedals and a ton of effects and some loops and some keyboards and all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talked to some musicians last last time who were more collaborative with other musicians, and for them, it was hard to get together and make music during the shutdown. I wonder if it's easier for you. You had said when we were just kind of kicking around before that it's been a pretty creative time for you. Is that because you're able to just, I mean, I wonder if your process is not that impacted. Yeah, you know, I'd say it's fair to say that it really isn't. And that's one of the reasons that I set this whole thing up the way I did. Because I've been in bands with other people in the past and that's really fun. But, you know, pandemic aside, bands are fragile. And mm. personal relationships or jobs or who knows what can put years of work in, into the garbage bin pretty quick. And while it, while it is really fun to collaborate with other people, uh, I really like the aspect of this. It just lets me do it at my own pace when I want and know that I'm here. You know, <laughs> it's not going to go away because of something like that. that's out of my control. That kicks open the door to a lot of follow-ups, but I know we want to hear some music first before we get too deep. So, Christian, is it time for a song? I think it's definitely time for a song. And maybe you want to have any lead-in on this one, Dale? You just want to talk about it afterwards. Sure, I'll just give a quick intro. This song's called Settle. I, I think it's the second to last song I released, maybe at the end of last year around November. And um, yeah, that's about it. Let's let's get into it. Sounds good. Thank you. 
is spinning i have a lot of questions but i really think we should start with sort of the genesis of of your creation as a musician because one of the things that i'm really curious about i know i read in your bio it said you you sort of became guitar obsessed as a kid like a lot of people yeah uh but most of them don't end up alone in their home hmm. with a ton of pedals and all this stuff you know they follow a more collaborative course sure sure and i also know in your bio there's a part about you dropping out of school and moving to Florida. 
So right, yeah, that always gives people a little bit of that head nod. Florida, why, why Florida, Jacksonville yeah. in particular? Okay, um, yeah, okay. So where do we where do we start there? Um, well, I mean, I guess start. I, I think there's there's I think there's there's twin masters that you've been serving, and one is music, and the other is technology and, and engineering. So did they develop together? Um, not actually. Yeah, I guess I guess they kind of did. So growing up, I was always like kind of the math science kid. That's the kind of family I come from. Uh, like my dad was a physics professor, and just that was the direction. You know, we all got pushed. And when I was like probably 15 or 16, I discovered punk rock and electric guitars. And just took a hard left away from all of that, you know, um, kind of finding my creative side for the first time. And at that point, collaboration and everybody else being involved was a huge part of it, you know, and, and the social connections from like the scene, especially as a punk rock kid, you know, like the scene well, is the big deal and all that. Right. And part um, of that at that point in your life is, is finding people who are having that same outsider experience that you're having. Mm hmm. And finding their yeah. community. Yeah, and that's that's really important. And honestly, that that still really is important to me. Um, and, and and it's part of this project as well. But to kind of trace the through line back from there, yeah. when I got to college. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. All right. No, I uh, don't want to talk over you on the Zoom call here. But uh, a side note, yeah, the the scene like in Bozeman, maybe a little thumbnail sketch of that because that's where you were in this like the punk rock scene. And what years was that, was that? And kind of give it a oh yeah. yeah. So then we did take kind of a pivot or turn left and. Sure, sure. So, I, so, yeah, I grew up in Bozeman, Montana, uh, which is not a tiny town, but it's it's pretty small. It's like 35, 45,000 people, mm -hmm. depending on if you count the college or not. And it being a college town is is really its identity. So there wasn't a huge scene there, but there was some some DIY punk stuff. Really, my my musical thing whole got it all got broken open the first year Warp Tour came to town because for some reason Warp Tour came to Bozeman. And so I could all of a sudden, I could see Bad Religion and No Effects and Rancid and all those guys. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is, I mean, like, you know, 12 kids in like a basement is cool. But like seeing that just, it, it totally blew my mind. Were you a skater kid? I wasn't a skater kid. I was a snowboarder kid. Okay. <laughs> um, Similar. But, uh, yeah. So, somewhat like that. But like kind of that like SoCal skate punk thing, like No Effects and those guys were, mm -hmm. were my jam at the time. And actually we, me and my wife last night, we just were making dinner. We were just thinking, what are we going to put on for music? And we just kind of went down a pop punk rabbit hole. And we're like, oh, my God, this is so fast and abrasive. And it all sounds the same. <laughs> but at the time, I loved it. Um, mm -hmm. It's funny how you look back on it. But yeah, so that was that was kind of that thing. And uh, it, but there, there other than that, you know, there wasn't a whole lot going on there. There were some cool bands, but there's just so few people and, and there weren't a lot of venues. It was, it was hard to do stuff there. And if you did want to, like, say, play out of town, you know, you're looking at hours. to like probably the next place over from Bozeman, you play is Missoula, which is a couple hours. And beyond that, like you know, you're going pretty far if you want to hit like Spokane or Seattle. So you were playing in bands back then, though? Is this high school? Yeah, yeah. So I, I got into bands almost immediately because, like, I had some friends at the time that played bass and drums. And then when I got a guitar, I was just like, oh, we're, well, now I guess we're a band, you know, like just by default. Yeah. Uh, so we started just kind of messing around. We had no idea what we were doing. It was it was god awful, <laughs> I'm sure. But it was, you know, it's getting your, getting your start, getting your feet under you and um, doing that kind of stuff. So it was a lot of fun. And eventually, like, I, I kind of got it. I went to college. I went to Seattle at UW briefly, but then came back to uh, Bozeman to continue because I wasn't—I just wasn't into it. And I was spending out-of-state tuition, which seemed dumb to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after a few more years of that, I was just like, you know, I, I was bouncing around in majors. I think in three years, I was at various times. I started in philosophy. I moved over to architecture and then over to graphic design and uh, didn't complete anything. <laughs> got, got a real broad kind of start there, just changing my mind a lot. 
Uh, but then when I realized it wasn't really, nothing was really latching, I was just like, you know, music is the thing that I really like. And uh, it's a long, it's an impossible shot, but like, my, might as well just go somewhere else. And my girlfriend at the time was from Jacksonville, Florida. That explains it. That's the connection there. So we were like, well, if we're just going to go somewhere, really any bigger city is probably better than this. And she had some family there. So it was, for me, you know, having just lived in Bozeman, it was, it made a lot more sense than just kind of trying to strike out to a new city. Can I ask you, so, so how old were you at this point? Um, I guess I was probably 20, 21 about at that point. Yeah. And I'd even like put together a little tour for my, my band at the time and trying to do like the Northwest thing, but it was, mm -hmm. it was just really hard. Too many long uh, van rides. How, how did you sell this to your STEM obsessed parents? Oh, that was, that was rough. <laughs> I remember having that conversation. It was really intense, and uh, I sat him down. And I was just like, "Got to talk to you guys." And I think they they kind of knew it was coming because my dad instantly clammed up and was just got the got the furious eyes. Um, and my mom was just like, "You're not dropping out of college, are you?" And I'm like, "No, no, I'm I'm taking a break." <laughs> and then, <laughs> I mean, they they weren't bad about it though. Like they they weren't happy to hear it, but they were like, "Well, you, you can do what you want to do. You're an adult, but um, we're not we're not going to financially support that. If you want to go do it, you got to go do that yourself." And so I did, and um, I'd never really had a serious like job before. I, I like washed dishes in restaurants over the summers, but didn't work during the school year. So I went down there and just applied to a bunch of stuff after we got there, and ended up becoming a server, uh, which is actually a really good job. You know, if you're if you're in a band, it's flexible. You can end up making a decent amount of money in a small amount of time. So I was a, a waiter for five or six years oh, um, boy. at various That's, places, yeah. including Larry and I have yeah. Some yeah well so we've worked together in well at least one place in seattle back in the day but yeah um, yeah it's, it's sort of a rite of passage for creatives i think yeah 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 and it's a good experience and that's another one of those community things where like there's this whole little subculture of servers and like the stuff mm -hmm. you go through together and the bonds you make going through that is is really intense and it's also just kind of invisible with people who aren't in it mm -hmm. um, so that, that was a crazy experience it was also good for me because like i'm I'm naturally actually a pretty shy guy and especially growing up I had serious social anxiety issues and the combination of like trying to be a punk rock front man and also having to talk to strangers and sell them soups and stuff over time helped with that but it was very uncomfortable. And interestingly, so you chose both of those pursuits without giving any thought to, hmm, maybe this is going to be a tough fit for me as a social anxiety guy. Oh, no, I mean, I knew it was going to be rough, <laughs> but I also thought like, you know, if I, if I want to do this, if I want to go out and meet people and I want to be a musician, I want to make those bonds, I have to get over this. So it was kind of just like a knowledge that it was going to be years of painful immersion therapy, I guess. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was conscious of it, but it was rough. So, and you were in Florida for five years? Yeah, about five years. I went down there and the punk rock thing petered out after about two years and I got more into like indie stuff, like uh, switched little kind of bands I was playing in and developed my skills a little bit more. Took a lot of music lessons when I could down there. Um, hmm. To, to enable that, you know, get out of just like the four court, hour courts kind of thing. And yeah, so five years. And after about five years, I, I was just kind of checking back in with myself uh, and saying like, well, you know, you're not famous. This is pretty rough. You're really poor. You don't have health insurance. And you're like half, you're past halfway through your 20s. Uh, and also uh, one of the catalysts, too, was that my dad was pretty sick. And uh, so I was like, oh, I'm going to try and get back home. Uh, it's about time to do that because I could go back to school in Bozeman. So I did that and uh, I didn't quite make it, uh, but I did get to visit before the end there. So, so it was mm -hmm. bummer, but you know, it could have been worse, mm -hmm. but yeah. on the way um, I did, you know, kind of when I made that punk rock to more indie rock transition, I've always been to, into, into weirder bands too. And not that they're weird because they're really mainstream, but it's people like the Beatles and Radiohead who just do 
pop songs, but that they also have these moments where they just come out of nowhere with this like sonic chaos, but it's like really beautiful. Uh, and you're like, how did you even do that? That doesn't sound like instruments. Um, that kind of stuff always in interested me. And so when I was down in Florida, I got more into the guitar pedals and recording and all those things, which led me to go back to school for electrical engineering. So that, so the, the two paths meet. Exactly, yeah. Hey, Christian, do you think we should take a break here for another song? We should, I think it's time. Then we can talk about maybe how this contraption you work with, <laughs> on, you know, this, this magic machine, how it kind of works for the, the lay people to understand. Like, like you know, us. Yeah, so. yeah, sounds good. Yeah, we'll go for it. All right. All right.
So when we last left you, Dale, you were back at Montana State uh, studying engineering. And I know uh, in your bio, it said when you graduated, you didn't fall, you didn't make music for quite a while. Yeah. And that was, um, you know, when I was back in school, I was still working a bit and uh, just doing the, the curriculum. And due to the variety, the great variety of classes I had taken before, even though I had three full-time years of college, I still had to do full four years uh, full-time, actually more than full-time to get the EE degree. Um, so I was really busy and I wasn't doing nothing. Like I was actually laying some of the seats for what I do now. I was like messing around in my, my room. I didn't have time to do a whole lot. I played like, that was the first time I ever really picked up bass in a band. Like, cause I just sat in on some cover bands and you know, just mm-hmm. here and there, but not really like a full on artistic endeavor or anything like that. So most of the time was spent focusing on school and yeah. So I had, I had a big gap there kind of got out of the, the habit of being uh, full-time. Like, I mean, now I still think of like in, in all my free time, trying to do creative stuff is really the main driver and it's back, but it was gone for quite a while there. Were you thinking about it? Oh yeah, constantly. I mean, it bugged the, bugged the hell out of me. Like I really missed, I knew I was doing the right thing, but I really missed my Florida friends and my bandmates because uh, like the, the last band I was in before I came back was together for like three or four years and we were like roommates and really good friends. And as, as I was kind of mentioning before, everybody knows you can have all these dramas and problems in bands, but that was one where we were all just like the best of buds and it was great. So I really missed that quite a bit um, thinking about that, but also trying to kind of start poking around at what I could do on my own. And uh, uh, yeah, just kind of building up some skills, I guess. Yeah. So now, Christian, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Mr. Wynn. You had mentioned we wanted to dig into the, what did you call the magic machine? Right. I guess my thought was too, you mentioned doing creative work, maybe in other genres or other elements, perhaps even like working on, Sounds seems like when we've talked in the past, Dale, like this, this machine that you play with and play on and loop with and all that kind of stuff you can tell us about here in a sec, but it's, it, that's got to feel almost like a, a work of art, right? Putting that all together. Um, I, yeah, I guess you could say that. It's it's definitely very, I feel there's a huge creative aspect in addition to the technical aspect, if you want to put it that way. Um, okay. So I guess maybe just kind of back up and explain what it is. Um, since you're hearing all these sounds, um, it's just me here playing this stuff. And uh, everything that I'm doing is generated live. It's not like I'm using tracks or anything with the, with the one exception of the percussion. So I haven't found out a way to do that by myself, but everything else is like, I'm either playing keys or guitar through a bunch of different processors and then recording little chunks of that and looping it and uh, using that to build up the songs. I know plenty of people play with tracks these days and I I totally don't have a problem with that. But for me, just myself, when I was trying to figure out, and actually this to to back up even a little bit more, this started as a recording project. When I got to Boise, I was like, okay, I I met some local bands like this is, this is cool. I should, I've got time now. I should start doing stuff. And I didn't, I just wanted to write songs and see if I could do it by myself. So I made an album. And uh, then after making an album in isolation by myself without a, an ability to play shows, I quickly realized, well, if you want anybody to pay attention, you got to get it out there somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually I was like, well, yeah, I could, I could find a way to hook all these different technologies together and make some of my own to pull it off by myself. And I was thinking I want it to be performative. Like if I screw something up and full disclosure, you know, we're, you're probably going to hear the second take of that first song, but I screwed up the first song at the very end by hitting the wrong switch. And I did the same thing at my very first show. Um, so I'm always trying to find ways to go around that, but that's, that's kind of part of it for me. Like I want there to be the potential for it to not go well, you know, it's gotta be a performance. So in addition to playing the stuff, I'm hitting a bunch of pedals with my feet and uh, kind of conducting, I guess the seat, the, the structure of the song. It's not on rails. Like if I don't do anything, it'll just stay in the verse or in the chorus and the drums will repeat. And then I tell it to go to the next part and I have to play some different stuff and the drums will come with me. But that, that's basically how it works. Piloting it, I guess you'd say. 
Since you brought it up then, the decision to take this live, when you first decided I want to play live, was your first thought, well, I better put together a band? Or was your first thought, I'll create some kind of looping system that is extremely challenging according to everything I've read? <laughs> um, it, was, uh, it was more like I just, putting together a band wasn't really on the table for me, I guess, just because I didn't want to go through the long process of finding those right people again. So I, I wasn't even really thinking about it. I was kind of like wishing that I could do something live, but it, it hadn't crossed over to the, the point of thinking like, oh, I'm going to find the people to do a band. I was just, I remember actually the moment I was like, oh, you could do this. I was taking my dog for a walk and listening to music in my headphones as I usually do. And there was this, um, I was listening to a Sufjan Stevens remix album and there's just this, it, it could have been anything really, but like just the, the way the music was building and some parts were repeating and some parts were developing, it just kind of dawned on me like, well, you know, when you're in a band and you play the verse of a song, you might play the same thing four times in a row, but you don't have to. What if you played it once and then you use those other three rep repetitions to do something else, maybe in the background? So that's like something I do often is like, well, the verse is playing. I'll actually be silently recording parts of the chorus or the second verse. And that's why I wear these in-ear monitors. So I can hear that. You guys can't hear that because that would sound like chaos. But I'm always trying to get like a couple steps ahead so that the stuff is ready to hit when the time comes. That sounds like it takes some compartmentalization. Yeah, yeah. So it seems a bit um, akin to jazz a bit, then in certain ways. I don't know. Is that true? I'm not a huge jazz aficionado, but it seems like you know that almost improvisation along. The uh, well, way. it's. I wouldn't say it's it's improvisation. It's uh, it is pretty structured. Although there's a little bit of looseness there that I can change if I want to. It, it is compartmentalization for sure, and that was one of the biggest challenges of getting this going in the first place because I have to be paying attention to the music that is that you guys can hear and staying in beat with that, but possibly playing stuff that's like uh, discordant with that if there's different chords in the different parts of the songs or in a different rhythm. And yeah, that was a struggle. Not, not quite as bad as the technical lift because the looping software that I'm using actually is something that I built myself from the ground up because I couldn't find anything on the market that was flexible enough to do all of these little tricks like I'm talking about. Yeah, that was, that was definitely a challenge. Were there moments of frustration while you were building it? Oh God, so many, so many times when I, I thought like, oh, this is just not even going to work. It, it was a huge, I didn't even know the programming language that I used to make this when I started. I just, the pure data. So I think you, you alluded to Miller Paquette yeah. and pure data earlier. Um, pure data is a, a graphically based programming language that's focused on audio synthesis and, and manipulation. And it just seemed like something that could theoretically work and kind of actually, it, it's truly intentionally an enormous project, almost a too enormous project to do. Because at the time, it was like, I think it was 2016, I was pretty bummed out about the whole political situation and trying to find some sort of respite or just escape from that. And also at the time, my wife was doing, uh, she, she was doing like geological field work. So she was gone for long periods of time and I was just by myself in the house. And so I thought, this is crazy. This will take literally all of your time for an indefinite period of time. Why not just try it out? And I didn't have any deadlines. You know, I didn't have any shows booked for a long time. And I was probably like six months deep in it before. I, I was shooting actually to play shows like 18 months after I started. But I actually got my first show like six months after I started. So it's and, and it's kind of gone like that ever since. It's been this uh, mad dash of overcommitting and then just cramming like hell to, to get it ready in time for the event. Um, yeah, I was curious about, you know, maybe that first show with this brand new piece of right. uh, you know, magical equipment that you built yourself, what, were you, what was it like? Were you, how did it go and uh, how nervous were you? 
I was extremely nervous. <laughs> it went yeah. pretty well. And so the reason that that show happened uh, at the time that it did actually, you know, funny story is once again, because of those Florida dudes. So um, some of those, most of those guys are still doing music and a few of them are now in the touring band for an artist named Yuno, who is on Sub Pop. And so he's going all over the place and he happened to be coming through Boise a few months out when I was working on this. And I saw that and I was like, figure out how to open for that show. Just figure it out. So I, I convinced uh, Eric Gilbert, uh, who's been super cool all the times I've interacted with him, to, to put me on the bill and talk to my friends and they were down with it. And then I had to make the program work <laughs> in like a greatly compressed timeline. And at the time, I wasn't even running it on a laptop. I was running on a little synthesizer called, called an organelle, which is pretty limited hardware-wise. So it would actually just randomly crash through like not even necessarily a fault of the program. It was just pushing the limits of what it could do. So I was nervous about that. I was nervous about screwing up and doing all of these different tasks at the same time. Uh, but it actually went really well. It was super fun. Had a decent turnout. And uh, I, I did screw up a few times, but I learned lessons from it. Like on the very first song, I accidentally double tapped one of my pedals, which actually skipped over a section of the song that I had to record. So then it was missing for the rest of the song. So what I did is just stopped. It was like 45 seconds into my first song. And I was like, okay, that's a good sound check. Let's get started, everybody. And everybody bought it. <laughs> everybody bought it. But then I went back and I put a feature into the program so that if I accidentally double tap a pedal within like one second, it ignores it. So I'm always evolving it to try and make it a little bit more friendly on myself. I'm beginning to see how your day job interacts with your creative pursuits. And not, yeah. just, not just that you're able to create programs that, you know, that on the fly will adjust but also the way you described organizing this project sounds like the way you would tackle a project that an engineer would tackle a project at work. Yeah. Uh, and there's definitely some parallels there in terms of like time management and uh, just hitting goals that are really time sensitive, you know? And, and yeah, I think that both, both endeavors probably help the other one to some degree for sure. And, and it just continued after that. Like that was my first show and I didn't really have anything booked after that, but then, I was planning to apply for Treeport the next year, but I was like, ah, oh, what the heck? I, I played a show. I'll apply this year. And I got in. And then I was like, okay, cool. And then they're like, you need to play a set that's actually twice as long as the amount of material you have. So I was like, oh God, <laughs> I need to write new songs and new programs. And, uh, but once again, I made it. I know that someday there's a train wreck where I'm, I don't make it looming out there in the future, but it hasn't happened yet, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> that's how a lot of artists live their lives, right, Larry? You're sort of waiting for that, that crash and burn to happen. And hopefully it never does. Maybe that helps keep us sharp. <laughs> it is yeah. true. However, I would say one thing that has stuck out to me, Dale, is that as a social anxiety guy and introvert, I mean, short of doing stand-up comedy, appearing on stage surrounded by keys and, and pedals alone must be pretty terrifying. How? You can go ahead and address that. I had, an, I had a follow-up, but go ahead. Oh, no, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> um, how do you meet the challenges of organizing a show when it's just you and you're deep into the music and deep into putting it all together and making it work? That is also entertaining. Well, so far, it's just been an exercise in repetition to get to the point where like a lot of the stuff where like I'm playing something, but then I have to hit this pedal at this time and reach over and push this button and also keep singing. Just do it a lot until as much of that becomes muscle memory as possible. And that, that seems to have been the key because then that lets me engage a little bit more and kind of treat it as an actual show instead of just like a technical exercise. Uh, yeah. but, it, but it is a challenge. It's an ongoing challenge. And uh, uh, you might have noticed, I don't know if you can see from the angle of the iPad, but like when I'm playing... I have a real hard time opening my eyes when I sing and it's because of that. Like if I'm just playing guitar, I can do that. But I, I just shut my eyes because I have to get so in the zone to run all this stuff that when I, I'm like, oh no, 
like see what's going on. I'll often miss a cue uh, in practice. And so like, I just kind of let my face or body do what it needs to do and just try and kind of go into like a Zen place where it's just like, I know this music, I know the feeling of doing these motions and then come back out on the other side. Yeah, I was just going to follow up or maybe make a transition, but uh, Larry, do you have one more uh, question along those lines? Or You know what, I think it can wait until after the next song. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll wait on mine too, actually. I think we're ready to see, uh, we can see you play, but uh, the people can hear another awesome track from Endless Atlas. So you want to go for it, Dale? Yeah, cool. And since we're talking about the technical stuff, this is actually an interesting song to listen to with that in mind. Uh, this one's mostly an instrumental, and it's all based around this first guitar figure that you'll hear me play. Uh, you'll hear that, and then you'll hear it kind of get warped and manipulated throughout the song. But it's really all that first, like maybe like 10 seconds of guitar is forming the core of this. So if you pay attention to that, you might be able to catch it. Right on. Well, here we cool. go. Endless Atlas.
we've been talking a lot about uh, how you make music and your path to making music, but let's talk a little bit about the music itself now. Um, this kind of tripped in my head when you had said you close your eyes when you sing, and I thought, well, it's, that's appropriate for this sort of dreamy, contemplative music. How did you arrive at this? And, and is this a finished product or is this part of an evolution? Um, well, I'd say that, so like the material I'm playing right now, uh, at least the material I consider a finished product just because I'm always trying to work on the next thing. You know, like I, I do like to get kind of lost in the details at the time, but once I've wrapped something up and released it, especially, I, I really like working on this stuff. So I, I kind of go back and forth between spending all my time writing and recording and then cramming for show and then going back to writing and recording. But really the writing and the recording, I think is maybe my favorite part of it. Although I do really enjoy sharing with people in a live context. And uh, I mean, that's kind of like a pivotal creative question is like, when is something done? And the, the real answer is it's never done. You just admit, I mean, if you want to produce something, you have to admit that you have reached a point where you're, you're getting diminishing returns on all the tweaks that you're doing that nobody else can hear, you know, and you just got to put it out there. But the, the system itself, if we're talking about that too, then that's that's definitely evolving. Although I've tried to cut down the engineering changes. Like between my first like five or six shows, I was revamping it sometimes from the ground up because I'd find a better way to do something or, I'd, oh, it'd sound cooler if I did this or I'd screw up less if I did that. Mm -hmm. But I've also reached a point where I realized that like, even though I enjoy that kind of work, I mostly want to make music with my free time. And so for like a year and a year and a half, it was probably 60 or 70% an engineering project and I get a lot of that at work. So I'm trying to get, yeah, just focus on the creative stuff. It's at a point where now it's like it's ported over to a MacBook instead of that little synthesizer. It's very stable and um, it's, it's functional and yeah, it does what I want it to do. So that's good enough. It's a tool at this point. I think yeah. it's funny that you referred to cramming for a show. I've never heard anyone mm -hmm. refer to cramming for a show. <laughs> yeah, well, it's because the stake, I mean, it's kind of my own doing because like I mentioned, I want the possibility of failure. And so the, the thing is though, that the stakes are high with this kind of, uh, this kind of performance. Because like if you're, if you're playing in a band and you hit the, uh, the wrong note or just something at the wrong time or whatever, the moment passes and you, you may you probably hit it right the next time. And the, the audience is like in the group, but like if I'm recording a loop that you're going to hear 48 times through the song, if I, if I play it wrong, you hear it wrong 48 times. And if I entirely miss a cue, then who knows what's going to happen. You know, you might have like the verse guitar playing over the chorus bass line and then something like that. But yeah. I, I really feel, I always have to kind of check back in and just make sure I know everything pretty solid. And is, is this the kind of music you hear in your head? It, yeah, I think like, so. Yeah, it's an esoteric question, but you know where I'm going with that? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's kind of like a weird, well, I don't know if it's weird, but it's an amalgamation of all the different stuff that I listen to, which is a combination of kind of like that dreamier, uh, poppy stuff like Radiohead and the Beatles. Uh, that, those, those are probably like my older references. I mean, those are, I always feel like those are bad influences to give people because who is not influenced by them? But, right. um, but I'm also into, like, I'm really into like ambient music, like Brian Eno type stuff. And then a lot of more modern things like Bon Iver, especially with his more recent albums, where it just gets way out there uh, with the song structure and sound designs and stuff like that. And it's, it's kind of a confluence of that and also just really enjoying making sounds and exploring new things. Like I don't like my guitar to sound like a guitar. I like to find weird sounds. And um, I tend to record like almost all the time, like whether it's on my phone or computer or whatever's around, I'll just sit around and sometimes I'm creating like a, you know, like a, something on the piano and I'm like oh that's a cool harmonic progression but sometimes I might just be like this is an interesting delay structure on the guitar and so I'll save that so I I kind of make like palettes of ideas that I want to use and then figure out a way to write a song that utilizes those things later 
Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, being a little bit older than you. Um, just like early 90s, late 80s, like Lush or Slow Dive or a band called Yeah. And, or even like Love and Rockets got into that a little bit or their band Tones on Tail, but our like project they had, I don't know if you're familiar with them as much, but it definitely brings me back to some shoegazer, like early 90s, late 80s stuff. That's pretty cool. Really into yeah, cool. Still enjoy I dig that. Here every once in a while too, you know, some of the more esoteric kind of um, non-pop Kira songs, you know. I think they were a band also that did a lot of really cool kind of strange stuff, but then they had like their eight or ten hits that kind of brought people out to the mega shows they did. I had a couple questions, um, I guess, kind of transitioning a little bit to the Boise scene and kind of the state of music now in our community in Treeport, and then we'll kind of get to one last song. But um, you mentioned closing your eyes, you know, as you play, which is pretty understandable. And I do oftentimes more than, like, as I'm talking to folks on the Zoom or whatever, just to kind of like form the thoughts better a little bit. But it's uh, interesting that Ben of Sunblood Stories, who is a good friend of yours, and you do their local Boise band, but they travel all over the country, and they're fantastic as well, and have some I say some shared DNA with what you do and you do their production. You've played with them, but he likes to, one of my favorite anecdotes about him and their, their performance is he likes to pick a person in the audience and just stare at them. The one person like, like Larry, he'd be staring right at you and playing and kind of freaking you out perhaps, but <laughs> the opposite of what you do is his form of like narrowing in on his, uh, his art, but that's not, you don't have to comment on that so much, but just like tell us about what you do with Sunblood Stories. They've been on this podcast and done something similar to what you're doing. And also they're just a uh, awesome, amazing band and amazing people. Um, so tell us about what you do with them. Yeah. Yeah. They're great people and great friends. And I've actually known them uh, since a couple days after I got to Boise. Like I just happened to, uh, be lucky enough that I, I picked the rental house on Craigslist that was across the street from them. And a few days after I moved in, there's a knock on my door at like 8 p.m. I was like, who, who the hell is that? I don't know anybody in town. It's pretty insistent. I better go check it out. I open it up and there's Ben and Amber with a six pack. And there's like, hey, we heard we're a musician. You want to be friends? And here we are like <laughs> seven years later. Yeah. And, and they're actually kind of responsible for getting me back into being actively musical because uh, I guess I didn't really mention it, but back when I was in Florida, in addition to the pedal stuff, I also got into the recording stuff and uh, kind of had like a amateur home studio, but I would like also have other bands, like other bands would come in and pay me to record and mix them and stuff. And it was pretty, pretty amateur at that point. But over the years, I've gotten better at it. And then when the opportunity arose, I, got, I started recording and mixing Sunblood Stories and have, I've done every one of their LPs since the, I've been in town. Um, started with Twilight Midnight Morning and up to their recent Haunt Yourself. And, and so that's that, been super fun. I, that question was sort of looming in my head for about the last 15 minutes because it seems like a natural that you would be producing people. Yeah, and I, I do really enjoy that sometimes. And uh, I, I really, I, I don't like seek clients at this point. I work with them and on occasion I'll work with somebody else. But um, I, just, I really just want to, do music that I enjoy. And one of the downsides of like, if you want to be a pro studio guy is that you, you just got to mix what comes your way. Right. And mm -hmm. I want to work on stuff that is artistically engaging for me and is not, not necessarily like predictable genre wise where you're just like, Oh, I know this is going to be like this kind of guitar and this kind of bass. And that's something that's really cool about Sunblood stories is in addition to being great performers and songwriters, they're always exploring new sonic territory, you know, whether it's when they were like a six or seven person band with like a, viola multiple guitars bass and drums and all of that and or or not like when they were a trio and the guitar was handling bass duties as well now they're back up to a four piece but 
they've all got their pedal boards and they're always going to space with them and stuff. So that's really fun for me too. Yeah, and actually that was the first time I played at Tree Fort since we're we're on a Tree Fort podcast. You should probably mention <laughs> mention that. Um, like back in 2015, they were doing like one of their you know because one one of the things I love about Tree Fort is that all the local bands will often pull out the stops and just do something really special for their Tree Fort set. And what they were doing that year was just having a bunch of guest musicians. Like they also had Holland from like a villain on stage for a few songs, but I got to join them and play um, additional guitar that year. I just produced one of their albums and there were, there were just spots where they're like, you know, yeah, we did this on the album and it sounds, it sounds fine without it, but like, what if we could do it? And I was like, well, I know this whole thing because I've been listening to it for weeks mixing it. So I got to have my first taste of performing a tree fort there. That was really fun. That's awesome. Yeah. And so also, podcast people, if you're listening now, um, you can go back into the archives and find the Sunblood Stories um, episode, <clears throat> which was our first foray in studio at the Eavesdrop Studios. We got them in the studio and had a, a great time with them. Um, so you can find that if you want to have a point of reference. But also, yeah, I mean, Tree Ford is now currently postponed uh, to September 23rd through 27th. And you know, even that's, we're just, we're still uncertain on that, yeah. but uh, you never know what's happening in the world right now. And um, I, I guess if you had a little message for musicians and fans of music and Tree Fort and all that, I mean, what do you see? Am I, you don't have to make it super hopeful or you can make it sort of bleak and, and weird and, and dark, but just, I'm curious how you're feeling as a musician and, and about the future of venues and about the future of festivals like Tree Fort and all that. Well, you know it's just it's so up in the air it's really hard to say um i really hope that things get better and that we get to do tree fort in the fall but i i'm not counting on it and of course we got to do what what's safe for everybody um what i what i do think is really cool is seeing all the ways that artists have found to be creative in alternative ways and still reach out to their fans you know all the live streaming um kind of like the remote recording projects. Uh, actually, one thing that I, I should mention, so Sunblood Story has joined in on this as well, but some of my Florida friends started a project over a month ago called the Stay at Home Audio Club. And that's been super fun during during this uh, pandemic. And what that is, is there was a core group of seven of us that started it. Each, each of us takes turns every week. We pick like a little audio sample, of like maybe like 10 or 15 seconds, provided to the group. And then you have one week to produce a 60 second musical composition and video accompaniment uh, to fit the Instagram format, right? And uh, then the next week, the next person picks one and puts the, puts the sample up and you do a whole nother song. So for over a month now, we've all been writing a 60 second song a week. And since it's like hashtag based, anybody can join in. It's, it starts with seven people, but now there's like 20 or 30 each week. And it's really fun seeing stuff like that uh, proliferate where you still get to work with other people, you get to share stuff. And uh, it's, it's not a festival, you know, but it's it's something new and it's it's something to kind of keep us going in these times. So that, that's pretty awesome. You know, I think if we get to take anything positive out of this period of history, it'll be that humans are very adaptable. It's it's nice to see that we are very adaptable. Yeah. And we have adapted on this podcast a bit, obviously doing nice. a segue. There's a lot of technology <laughs> right. we can use these days um, to adapt, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been, I would I'd say that's true as well, just from small things like actually going outdoors to do some exercising and whatnot for us in Boise getting up in the foothills or, you know, nice weather here. So getting out into the, the natural wonders of Idaho been, has been a thing that's been great for me. And so, yeah, Dale, why don't you play us one more song and that'll be probably 
the extent of time we have, and we'll have to check back in right after the song and, and say thanks and goodbye for the, the episode. Cool, yeah. Okay, so um, I'll, I'll just mention real quick this next song. Uh, it's called So It Goes, and it's an older song of mine, but I did actually, um, in isolation, uh, having nothing else to do for a second, made a music video for it a couple weeks back, uh, which I put on YouTube. And it's pretty fun. It's actually an adaptation of a seventh instructional math video on con- congruent triangles. And I kind of reworked it to uh, to fit this. So, yeah, go, go look that up. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of cute. A riff on, a, on Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And I love it when people catch that and they don't think that it's a Taylor Swift cover because I didn't know at the time, but she's got a song called that apparently so <laughs> i did not know that yeah but, uh, I, I could be wrong but i think that's that's the thing so thanks for
nice. I, you know, one last thing I did want to know is it seems like the music you make lends itself so much to a one-man contemplative band. Is it a chicken and egg thing? Yeah, I think it might be. Um, it's kind of circular, but it, it, it also stems from the fact that I probably write and record it by myself. And then I, I kind of have to end up doing two versions of everything because I, I do the recording then I'm like, okay, how the heck do I do this in a live context? And I have to figure out that version. Um, but yeah, I'd be, I'd be surprised if the fact that I'm not just like kind of by myself going going off in my head, making weird delay noises when I'm doing this doesn't seep into the whole thing. Seems that's, like that's kind of the roots of it. Well, Mr. Winner, are we out of time? We're getting there. Yeah, we're just going to wrap it up. One last thing. Where would folks best find your music? So I'm on all the streaming platforms, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, and uh, Bandcamp and all that jazz. Uh, so just look for Endless Atlas. And I do have something new coming out. Actually, I'm not sure when this is going to air. Uh, but on the let's see, 2nd of June, I've got an album called Wooden Palace, which is actually a split collaborative EP with one of my old Florida friends. I'm really excited about that. Called Odd Relics. Is that the band? Yeah, Odd Relics. Um, and he's another uh, one-man band producer type guy like me. So we used to play in a band together and kind of developed our own semi-electronic, semi-live styles and uh, kind of blended them for this one. It's It's got songs that are like mostly me and then mostly him, but we really work together on everything. He came up for a week last summer and we just cleared our schedules and did seven days of nothing but writing and recording. And uh, th that's the result finally coming out. So yeah, give that a listen when it's out there. Are, are you working with a record label or do you self-release? No, just self-releasing at this point. Uh, I'm, I'm still pretty, pretty new. I mean, I've been around, I guess, for like year and a half to not quite two years as far as playing live shows with this situation um, but self-releasing works great these days and uh, yeah I was looking to really get out there and maybe get on the road because I've only played in Boise so much uh, Boise so far and I wanted to start breaking that and getting out there a bit this spring but here we are you know <laughs> oh yeah we can't wait for sure to actually see you live um, perhaps at Treefort in uh, September and or sometime very soon after we're, we're we're hopeful um, and we really, really super thank you for coming on our podcast and uh, playing some awesome tunes. And Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, and in Treefort, I should be playing at Space Bar on, on Friday, given the current schedule. But of course, check in on that. <laughs> check in on that for sure. But yeah, we're, we've, we're missing, you know, musicians um, in clubs like, like yourself. So Endless Atlas, Dale Hiscock, and Larry, thanks for, yep. uh, you know, you know, come Checking on. In from, uh, from the city by the bay. Here we are. And yeah, we really appreciate Eavesdrop Podcast Network. And we're normally in their studio. So we're, we apologize. I'm sure Dale has some amazing audio he's going to send us here with the music. Our vocals from Larry and myself um, and the interview stuff are quite as high quality as we normally hope them, them to be. But yeah. we're doing our best. So take it in. And thanks just to Tree Fort Music Fest in general. Um, it's a great organization. Thanks to uh, Eavesdrop, which uh, you can find them at easeease.com. E and you can find this podcast at, I don't know, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find uh, your favorite podcasts. And gosh, what were we going to do, Larry? Uh, I was going to say you might want to throw out uh, Twitter feeds for Tree Ford and maybe Story Ford. And yeah, for them. you can do that. You can find that in the show notes, too, on, on the, the eavesdrop site and on the other spots. But uh, I tell you what, we shall eventually see you at the fest. Aha! Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, Christian. Thanks, Larry. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, uh, Okay, so there you have it. That was Larry Rosen, myself, Christian Wynn, and Endless Atlas. Awesome one-man wonder, as mentioned, Dale Hiscock. We want to thank Tree 4 Music Fest for, you know, 
helping us put this on. And you can find out all things Treeport at treeportmusicfest.com. Also, I want to thank the band, Up Is The Down Is Them, who has generously donated this uh, theme music to us, as well as Ease Drop Studios, our podcast network and good friends. And you can find info on this podcast, among the others in the network, at ease-drop.com. Take care out there, and hey, we'll eventually see you at the fest. Tomorrow, but tomorrow never came.